0: This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I have the privilege of hosting this show every week, adoptive mamas and their people doing their very best work. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and The Adoptive Mom Podcast, and on Instagram at The Adoptive Mom. This is the second episode of AMP's sixth season, and that makes episode 80 overall. And in it, we're going to get to talk to Gina Human, who is an author and a speaker, and here soon will be a TED Talk presenter. You guys have been asking for a more of a deep dive and support for reactive attachment disorder, and y'all, this episode is here to deliver. So Gina is a true renaissance woman, wife, mother, author, speaker, instructor, designer, architect, and adoption advocate. Her memoir, Love Never Quits, about raising an adopted child with the terrifying diagnosis of reactive attachment disorder, receiving gold at the prestigious Mom's Choice Award, and... It made Amazon bestseller. She is an accomplished speaker who covers the subjects of adoption, mental illness, reactive attachment disorder, PTSD, infertility, and parenting. Whew, that's a lot. She's awesome, and I can't wait for you guys to meet her. But before we jump in to my interview with Gina, I want to remind you of the very best way that you can support me and the podcast, and that is to leave a review on iTunes. This is the currency of the podcasting world, and its worth is well over its weight in gold or something like that. It's super important, bottom line. So, I would just love it if you would take a second to leave a review, preferably with five stars, but that's just me. Also, my birthday was yesterday. And if you know me at all, you know that my birthday is my very favorite holiday. So, happy birthday to me. Woohoo! In honor of National Alex Day, I want to give you guys some birthday presents. So, check my Instagram and reminder it's at the adoptive mom for giveaways all dang week. And I'll give you the first one during this episode. Okay, let's go talk to Ms. Gina Human. All right, Miss Gina, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. How's it going? It's going great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um, you. Your story sounds really similar in certain ways to mine, so I'm really excited to get to know you better and to talk to you about some of this hard stuff that we deal with as adoptive moms. But first, can you just introduce us to yourself and your family?
1: Um, Sure. My name is Gina Heumann. Um, I've been married for 26 years to my husband, Aaron. Uh, We were together like two years before that. So it's been a long time. Yeah. (laughs) And we adopted our two boys. Um, Landry is now 18 and Maddox is 15 and they're both from Guatemala.
0: Okay. Good job on the naming. I feel like uh, you chose, even back then, you you chose really cool names. So good job.
1: Well thank you. We had this weird family um uh, tradition. My husband told me on our like third date. He said, um, oh, well, um I my name is Aaron. My grand my father is Leonard. His father is Alfred. His father is Leopold. His father is Aaron. So it goes A L A L A L. And so I said so you mean to tell me if we get married and have kids, we have, we have to have an L. And he said, well, only if it's a boy. I said, oh my God, that's even worse. Like Linus and Larry and Lester, like there's horrible names to start with L. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and he said, well, if we don't find something, we can change the tradition. And then I was like on a mission. I'm like, we have to come up with an L name. That's
0: cool. So <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, that's an so- interesting third date topic. And 26 years later, you... <laughs> It seemed to have worked out.
1: Yes, it did. So Landry was the L name that we spent 10 years trying to come up with. So every time we'd meet somebody, we're like, okay, nice to meet you, Logan. Okay, put that on the list.
0: (laughs) Um, And now, so then Landry now has to have an A name, son? Yeah, yep. And Maddox is off the hook.
1: Maddox is off the hook, but in the Jewish tradition, like you're supposed to name them after someone in the family. And it depends on like certain Jews do it after a dead member of the family and certain Jews do it after a live member of the family. They had uh, one parent on each side. So they said, just name them after somebody. So Maddox was named after um, his uncle, Michael.
0: <laughs> Goodness. Okay. So we just use the
1: same letter.
0: Yeah, we use the same letter. All right. All right. Hey, this is like, this is, we haven't even started the interview yet. And this is really interesting stuff, man. So <laughs> learning all kinds of things. Um, uh, okay. So both of your sons are adopted, correct? Yes. All right. So walk us through that whole story. You know, you, you talked about what you were going to name your children on your third date. So when did adoption come into the mix and then, you know, bring us to now.
1: Yeah. So, um, I originally did not want to have kids. Um, we started out like, we're just going to be married and not have kids. Um, but, as I got closer to 30, it became more important to me. And we thought, okay, well we'll just have a kid, just one. And then four years of infertility treatments later, we decided that uh, we were meant to adopt. and so that we started researching different types of adoption. Um, After that many years of infertility and uncertainty, I literally just wanted to be on a list and I wanted my number to come up and I wanted to go get them. And that was it. I didn't want any uncertainties of like, the birth mother's not going to pick us. So that's the reason we chose international adoption. And um, you know, I, I, we looked at other countries, but at the time, like there were age restrictions for certain countries, and I think I think we were too young still. I mean, we—I was thirty-two, and my husband was like twenty-nine. So, like some countries, you had to be thirty, and so it closed some of the doors for us. I think China, you had to be thirty-five. So wow, okay. Anyway, Um, So we started out looking at China and and then uh, we went to Russia and Eastern Europe. And I was actually really scared of um, fetal alcohol syndrome and reactive attachment disorder. (laughs) So we ended up going to Guatemala because we probably wouldn't get that stuff. And lo and behold, here we are with a kid that has rad.
0: Surprise. Surprise. Yay! (laughs) Um, Okay, so did you adopt them separately? Are they biological siblings? How how, was all that?
1: Yeah, they're not biological siblings. And actually, they had completely different backgrounds. Um, My older son had the foster mom that... Um, that doted on him. He had a whole foster family. He had a mom and a dad and four kids and everybody played with him and every single one of them held him. And, and then he had a birth mom who we know got good nutrition and she already had six children living with her and they were all well taken care of and well loved. So we're like, okay, he started out with the perfect beginning. My second son uh, his birth mother was much younger and already had a child with special needs. So, um, he was the second and she was, I think she was 17 and she already had like a three year old with special needs. And we don't know what that means. Cause it's Guatemala. They didn't really tell us, but maybe down syndrome. Yeah. And um, so that's the reason he was placed for adoption. And we know that she's from this very remote area of Guatemala that's known for malnutrition. So he probably didn't get the proper nutrition. And then he went to a foster mom that we believe strongly neglected him. He uh, wasn't used to being held we think because when we tried to cuddle with him, he would arch his back as if he wasn't used to being touched. Um, He didn't make eye contact. He didn't uh, smile easily. He didn't sleep through the night. And in fact, he slept through the night for the first time when he was 11 years old. Whoa. <laughs> not, not, not <laughs> yeah. Um, and for a long time, he was getting up like five or six times a night. And so we thought, you know, he, we actually had, I begged for a sleep test and my doctor kept saying, Oh, this is still within the normal range. And Oh my God, she would not give me any help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we, uh, I finally begged and begged and begged for a sleep test and we had to bring home like all the equipment. He got to do it at home, which was great because I don't think he would sleep in some kind of strange lab. So he just, um, he, uh, we got to put the robot vest on him and he got to sleep that way. And we put all the little sensors on him and turns out he was awake, uh, eight times an hour. So, and they determined that his um, tonsils and adenoids were huge. So we thought, okay, well, that's the problem. We'll just take out the tonsils and adenoids and then he'll be fine. It's probably just sleep deprivation. <laughs> and that wasn't the answer to our prayers. So it just kept going. And, you know, we kept trying different things over the years.
0: Goodness. And it, it must have been hard to have such two such different um, adoption stories to have, I don't know, one that went pretty smoothly and then have that be the bar that you set, you know, and then follow that with one that didn't happen like that.
1: Yes. And my older son was so easy that my friends called him the Stepford child. So we just thought, hmm, we're really good at this parenting thing. (laughs) (laughs) And um, (laughs) the second one put us in our so, yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't us it was him
0: <laughs> oh my gosh okay so you mentioned you hinted at a, at reactive attachment disorder which um again just the similarities in our story because when we sat through so we adopted domestically but through foster care um twice and they were separate adoptions and uh one was a teen and one was a baby um When we sat in the training for foster care and adoption, which is one training, um, you know, they talk about a reactive attachment disorder. And we were like, well, check that box. No, that sounds real scary. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, it wasn't until like, I don't know, uh, it was maybe a little under a year that we learned that our teen actually had reactive attachment disorder. And we were like, so this is what this looks like, like actually in reality. Um, Wow. And that's so hard, right? You know, just that just that realization, because I feel like we go through those steps of grief, you know, and I know that you wrote a whole book about it, which is really cool. Um, I mean, I say cool, not that you would have ever been like, you know what, I really hope I get the opportunity to write a book on this. But <laughs> now you have and we get to thank you for it. Um, so tell us about just that journey of realizing that this is a possibility to grieving that like this is your reality to being able to inspire and encourage other adoptive moms through it?
1: It's been quite a journey. I mean, I'd spent many, many years thinking that, you know, life was terrible and I was depressed and I was anxious. And I, I realized after my son was doing better that I had PTSD really bad mm-hmm. and um, it, it completely affected my life. But for years, um, we would try everything. I mean, we tried, uh, we tried therapy. And when he was really little, it looked like more parenting classes. You know, they're like, oh, try this sticker chart. Try this marble jar. And of course, none <laughs> of it
0: worked. <laughs> I'm so sorry to laugh. It's just so funny. Like, that's when people are like, have you tried this very simple normal child thing? And you're like, oh, my yeah gosh. Oh yeah, just
1: take this love and logic class. Oh here, take this parenting class. And so none of that worked, obviously. All of it worked on my other kid. So (laughs) um the other kid, like anything we tried was working. Um the the younger one, nothing worked. So so then we tried neurofeedback, we tried um nutritionists, you know, everybody said, Oh, just take red dyes out of his diet, that'll fix the problem. (laughs) We tried Um, then we tried as he got older he tried this group therapy they called like um, friendship groups so it was like anger management and social skills for kids that had issues Um, when he was in the class he was really good at it he could tell you all the answers and what he's supposed to do when he's angry but in the moment he couldn't access it whatsoever so he was just you know so they kept letting him back in um with a discount, they're like, "Oh, here we'll give you a discount if you'll bring him back because he's so good at this." <laughs> oh but we weren't really learning anything. And then as he got older, we qualified for in-home therapy, which is very weird. I don't know if you've done that one, but you know that's where a therapist comes and like hangs out at your house and tries to be invisible while you go about <laughs> your business, and then they kind of butt in where they think it's necessary. It is so uncomfortable. Uh, we yeah. did family therapy. I mean, we did every kind of therapy there was. Play therapy. <laughs> Pretty much everything. Nothing was working. And he really just as as he got older, it just got worse and worse. He was he was so angry all the time. Like any time you said no to him, it would it would be a, a tornado, you know, like he would destroy property. He would try to hurt us. He would scream at the top of his lungs, that really blood curdling scream that they could hear across the street. So, Man. Um, yeah. And it just, it was so hard and we just didn't know what to do. And of course, then you know, friends, family, strangers, everybody's commenting on, oh, well, you just need to do this and you just need to try that. Well, have you tried timeout? Why don't you give him timeouts? Oh,
0: man. <sighs> oh, man. A lot of judgment. Yeah, for sure. And, and a lot of not helpful advice. And, um, you know, I'm curious, where was Landry during this? Was he, are they close enough in age where he could be like, bro, chill? Or- yeah.
1: There are three years apart and Landry for many years, he's very mellow. He's, uh, and I think he would, he would make a good therapist someday. He was always like the mediator for us. So he would try to talk his brother off the cliff, but it didn't always work. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and then as, as Maddox got older and more physical, Um, Landry was my athlete and he's very strong and he would have to sometimes wrestle Maddox to the ground so he wouldn't hurt me. And that is something you want your, you know, nine-year-old to have to do. It's just scary. So
0: I can only imagine. And, you know, so, so you got this diagnosis at some point, um, along the way, what was the grieving process like for you to be able to put a name to this behavior?
1: I, you know, I don't know that I'd call it a grieving process. I was actually relieved to find out there was a reason for it. It wasn't just the bad parent, you know, because all the friends, family and strangers just made me feel like I was failing at this miserably. So, you know, at least getting a diagnosis and now we were misdiagnosed many times, started with ADHD. Then they thought it was bipolar and they thought it was ODD and they thought oh maybe he's on the autism spectrum. I mean they threw out every possible diagnosis there was. We didn't get the rad diagnosis till he was almost 10 years old and that came from an intern. So we were working with a therapist that we couldn't really afford and she said, "Well, you know, I have an intern here. Maybe he could meet with you guys, you know, once a week and you know, give you a better price and then, you know, you could see if you could make some progress that way. Now he was like a 24 year old, uh, veteran. So he was, uh, and he was Hispanic. So like my son was obsessed with the army and he just thought, oh, this guy, Mike is so cool. And, and so they would do these, these therapy sessions where they would like walk up to McDonald's to get an ice cream cone or they'd go to the park, you know, so it didn't feel like therapy. Yeah. He's home one day and he said, have you ever considered reactive attachment disorder? And I said, I don't even know what that is. So he said, well, I'm going to send you some articles. He goes, but I think this is what we're dealing with. And so, of course, he sent me these articles. I read through them. It was like they were in my house. You know, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what we have. So that was the first time we'd heard of it. And then since then, we had two other therapists that diagnosed him. So, I mean, that was his diagnosis. <laughs> and finally, it made sense, but we still didn't know what to do with it because, you know, there, there just isn't a ton of information out there that's really helpful. I think it's getting better, but, you know, this was five years ago and there really wasn't much to go on.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and there's not. I think that especially, you know, we, when we talk about, difficult behaviors from adoptive children. I think a lot of people go to outward behavioral or like getting into legal trouble or, you know, like you're thinking about like vandalism and, theft and stuff like that you're not thinking about like mind games and con artistry and stuff that goes on in the house that makes you feel like a crazy person as a parent because you know it doesn't shock me at all that your child did so well in those classes because he learned how to and he adapted and reacted and that makes sense to me because I'm a fellow rad mom but for a lot of people Mm -hmm. they don't get that and they just think that this child is really well behaved and that's really hard Um, I think it's incredible that an intern, especially such a young one, um, could be so trauma informed to be able to recognize that and not be like, oh, this is just a really cool kid that we're dealing with. Why is he even in therapy? His parents must be crazy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you're hitting all my trigger buttons, by the way, but like in a good way. So I think it's really cool that you answered my question about grief. You know, I I guess I'd never thought about it like that, that it could be relieving on the other side. Um, Because it was for me, too. I think that if anything, the grief came from just saying, I never, I specifically did not want this story. And yet this is the story I have. Um, Right. And just kind of like grieving the loss of normalcy. But yes, it is relieving to be able to tell people like, hey, I'm not just making this up.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, so he kind of started to go downhill about fifth grade and I think it was the puberty hormone sort of kicking in. That was our, that was when there was a shift where it used to just be, you know, he was with us in a public place or he was at home is when all the bad behaviors were. But if he was like somewhere with someone else, he would usually be fine. Yeah. Not always, but usually. But fifth grade was now he didn't want to go to school. He was being bullied at school. He was locking himself in the bathroom and like the male teacher had to go get him out. He was in the nurse's office every single day Um, I don't think he did a lick of school work in school (laughs) that whole year. (laughs) And I lost about four jobs in four years because the school kept calling me like, you have to come pick him up. He made himself throw up. And, you know, he it was anxiety that was making him throw up. It wasn't that he was sick, but they wanted me to come pick him up and then, you know, keep him home for 24 hours. And I'm like, he's not sick. (laughs) So it's very hard to juggle that and try to, you know, make money at the same time. Yeah. So I had to learn to be adaptive and, um, you know, find jobs that where I could be flexible and, you know, work from home or have my own hours and things like that. That's the only way I could work. But I had to work because all his therapy was so expensive and none of it was covered by our insurance at the time. So, it was, it was a very expensive journey
0: for us. (laughs) Wow. And that's, I mean, that's, ah, man, that's some kind of hard to be like, I'm working to pay for, I mean, just, you know, it's not like for fun. You're not like saving up for vacation or whatever. It's like, literally you're working for the thing that's making you miserable in your life. I mean, you love him, but at the same time, oh man, that's, that's like, So, I mean, it's confusing and like hard to even think about, Um, so I can't even imagine living it. So at what point did you decide uh, that you, you wanted to be able to share this experience with others?
1: Well, so we hit rock bottom in sixth grade. He went off to middle school, and he also had some sensory issues. So um, he's going now to a much bigger school where kids are slamming lockers and crowding the hallways. And he just, like, he hated it so much. I had to almost every day call the principal and see if they could talk him into going to school. (laughs) So... Um, and if not, the school resource officer would come pick him up and he would go to school in the back of a squad car and he had no problem with that. Wow. Um, but it was second semester of sixth grade where, um, something happened at school and he ended up sort they sort of uninvited him to come back to that school. Um, but they- set us up with an interview for another school that happens to be in our district. Now we are very lucky to have this. I know not all districts have this, but we have a special school for kids with behavioral and social challenges. And it even had bus service. <laughs> so that was amazing. So we um, went for the interview and I honestly went with a horrible attitude. I was like, this is where they send all the bad kids. Like they don't even want to try. They weren't following his 504 plan. You know, they just wanted to kick him out. And And so we went to this other school for the interview and I didn't want to like it, <laughs> but the principal was amazing. And she really focused on Maddox, my son. And she said, if you don't want to go to this school, it's not going to be your school. My job is to convince you that this is the best school for you to go to. And then she worked with him and she told him, you know, they had a garden. They, they did all of their science classes outside. They went on hikes. They, it was very expeditionary, their learning style. Um, they had improv classes for English, where they would act out Shakespeare and things like that. Um, they also had a, a social worker on staff that met with the kids every single day. They did yoga and meditation for gym class. I mean, it was it was really a nice program. And they even had a therapy dog that came once a week and you know hung out with the kids. So so that was kind of cool. And that was part one of our success story. Part 2 was um when we transitioned to this school, you being a rad mom, you know, rad kids suck at transitions. So <laughs> so we got to the school and um it was it was not pretty for that first like 8 weeks and it was like an 8 week boot camp before 6th grade was ending and then he would start 7th grade at that school knowing, you know, what all the rules are and all that stuff. So during that time, an incident happened at school where um, he ended up getting uh, handcuffed and thrown in the back of a squad car and sent to the juvenile assessment center. Wow. That, I call that day rock bottom. Um, and, you know, he was prone to lying because he's a rad kid. So we had no idea what he would say to these people at the, the assessment center. We also um, were not allowed to be with him because they said, oh, no, if he's behaving this way, we need to figure out what's going on at home. So that's the day I thought I'd lose both of my children. Yeah. Yeah and um and 5 hours later i was allowed to go pick him up i got to the juvenile assessment center you know and it's it's a scary place it's at the jail so we're walking down these hallways and big doors are locking behind us and you know it's it's frightening and we saw you know a whole like there was a big window where you could see um all these kids in orange jumpsuits like eating in the cafeteria and i'm like oh my god we're in jail so we finally get to this little room that they're holding him in, and the lady t- takes me in a private room and she says, Okay, we've been questioning him for four or five hours now, and you're his adoptive parent, correct? And I said, Yes. And, you know, I said, I, I prefer to just go by mom, but <laughs> uh, she said, Okay, so. Um, We strongly suspect he has reactive attachment disorder. And at that point, I was like, yeah, no kidding. But what am I supposed to do about it? And of course, she pulls out this list of therapists. And she says, I can give you this list of therapists. And I said, "Okay, this is not helpful. I've seen like probably 15 different therapists over the years. None of them help. And a girl came in like an intern. She was like a young girl, maybe 22 years old. And she said, I have an idea. I said, okay, what's your idea? She said, I think my friend is working for a guy that's a world renowned expert in reactive attachment disorder disorder. do you want me to get the number? I was like, yes, please. (laughs) So we um, took this guy's number. I called him on the way home. He returned my call the next day. We talked for about an hour and he was like our savior. So we were like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy knows all about Rad and what our kid is going through. And I think he's the, the reason that, or he's the one we're supposed to see. So we did this family intensive therapy program that was two weeks, um, four hours a day, five days a week with four therapists and all four of us. And because it was so intense like that, there was, you know, we'd go home at night. There was enough time that we could implement some of the things we learned in therapy and then report back the next day. But there wasn't enough time in between to forget. You know, with regular therapy, if you go like every other week or once a week, you have all that time that you forget what you learned in therapy. So this was great because we didn't have that time to forget. We also really focused on the attachment piece. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big part of it was just for him to understand that the neglect that he suffered before he got to us was not his fault. And that was huge for him because he thought, I mean, he thinks to this day, we're still working on self-esteem, but he thought he deserved what he got. You know, he just Mm. thought he was a bad kid. And that just breaks my heart now knowing that. So after this therapy, I still was convinced it didn't work. I mean, it was about six months in and he was still you know having these uncontrollable rages and destroying property but we live with him every day so we didn't notice that it was getting fewer and further between until we went home for christmas and we saw my family and they were like oh my god he's so calm now he's so different and that's when we started to really notice it and we were like oh maybe you're right (laughs) And at that time, we also started doing some different like discipline techniques because at the school he was at, they were using um, collaborative problem solving, which is where you don't do punishments, but you really just try to teach them the skills that they're lacking. And so if you told a kid who doesn't, uh, who's lacking in skills, you say, go up and clean your room they could go up there and be there all day long and it's never going to get clean because they don't know what to do they're overwhelmed they're they're you know freaking out so my kid would actually say well just go ahead and take my video games away i'm not going to clean my room and what i didn't realize at that time was it's because he didn't know what to do he didn't know how so we learned that you know a lot of these things we had to actually sit down and teach him we had to do it with him and that made it a lot better because once we figured out that he was missing these skills you know then we could react differently so that was helpful as well so i say we had the magic triangle we had the awesome therapist the awesome school and then all of us using the same technique so we had the perfect triangle of finally things are getting better so then over the next year he started doing great. And then at one point, my husband was like, when was the last time he broke something on purpose? And I was like, "Shh, don't (laughs) say anything, you're gonna jinx it. (laughs) And um, at that point, we were like, yeah, maybe he is getting better. And he made it through eighth grade without a single incident at school. And he wanted to go to regular high school. And that was a trigger point for me because I was just ready for, you know, another incident to come up. And so that's when my PTSD got worse was when he was getting better because I just kept waiting for the next shoe to drop. Yeah. And it never did. So he's now doing amazing. He's a sophomore in high school. He's in six different bands. He plays the tuba and the bass trombone. He's hasn't been angry about anything in a long time. Like... I mean, he gets angry like everybody does, but he hasn't really had a rage or an incident like that in years. So we think he's now a former rad kid (laughs) and we're still working on some of the little issues that that are lingering. But for the most part, I think he's a normal kid now. And so that's kind of when we decided to write our story, because when I was going through it. There weren't many personal stories about Rad. There were a lot of things by therapists, but I was like, I want to hear from real parents. And there really wasn't anything out there. And anything I did read was so negative. So I was like, okay, wait, we have a hopeful story. So maybe we can give hope to some other families.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I think that there's such a need for that because you're right. I feel like there's so much that's either um, really and this is going to sound weird, but like really child focused and not that we shouldn't be child focused, but it's more like, here's mm-hmm. all the things you're doing wrong, mom. Here's what you could be doing yeah. better, mom. And it's never like for her. It's never for the dad. It's never for them saying like, you're doing a great job, but here's how we can walk alongside you or here's where the solidarity is or here's the hope at the end of it. It's um, And so right. I think it's really incredible that, I don't know, you're filling that gap for so, so, so many families and you're right. I mean, my son is 18 now and he moved out on his 18th birthday. We he didn't move in with us until he was 14. And so we don't have that success story yet. And, um, I think that there's a lot of differences in our stories, you know, I mean, he was older when we got him, but I think that even just hearing that it is possible, um, is really hopeful because we, you know, I, I know in theory that it's possible, but, without having Mm. seen it, it's, it's hard to believe it sometimes. And so, I don't know, seeing that, you know, you're, you're past that hurdle to the point Mm. where you can even talk about it with optimism is amazing. Um, And so when, when did Uh. your book come out and what is it called and just tell us all about that.
1: It's called Love Never Quits, and it came out um, at the end of June this year, so it's pretty new. We're still kind of figuring out how to promote the book and stuff like that. Um, Both of my kids wrote a chapter in the book, which I think is amazing. My older son did it without us even asking him. He just said, hey, I wrote something. I don't know if you want to put this in your book. And it was amazing. It was like what it's like to live with a rad sibling. So that was really cool. And then we sort of encouraged our other son to write what it's like to be a rad kid. And he struggles a little more with writing. So we ended up like sort of, we did an interview. I took notes. Um, We, we tape recorded it and put everything in his words, but you know, so he kind of helped us with that. And then, you know, he added to it. So he helped write his his own chapter. (laughs) And um, he's now speaking with me. He's actually a really good public speaker. And so if there is a speaking engagement where he's able to go, if it's not during school hours, um, he'll come with me and he'll talk to parents about what it's like to be a rad kid and what helped him and what didn't help him. And it's pretty cool that he's embracing this now. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things he's thinking about doing for a living someday is being a rad therapist.
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, that just gives me chills. That's really cool. And one of my favorite, you know, you shared your photos with me that are in the show notes now for you guys listening. um, That it's it's a picture of you. I think it was must have been a book signing or something with your son, and I think that's Uh so cool to see that full circle story. Just that he knows, like, hey, these are hard words from my mom about what she went through, and that he can even say, like, you know, I'm here for that. I I I realize that I caused it. I'm not in denial about it. Here, you know,
1: right, and we, you know, he actually he had a little bit more ambivalence when I started talking about writing the book, and you know, we we had many conversations at the dinner table about whether or not this was a good idea, and he finally came to. He said, "Do you think it's going to help people if you write this book?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Well, then I think we should do it." And so he he gets it you know and and we we've also explained to him that his behavior is not does not define him you know we're like you know what the Rolling Stones used to trash hotel rooms it's not that uncommon so you know yeah you used to break stuff but you don't anymore so so that's good
0: (laughs) whenever you can work in a Rolling Stones analogy into your parenting I you know I'm here there you go (laughs) Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying my talk with Gina and we will get back to that in just a sec. But first, I want to tell you about the birthday giveaway number one, like I promised. So I'm gonna give a free AMP shirt to a lucky winner who writes a brand spanking new review on iTunes for the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I'll choose a winner on Sunday before episode three drops in your feed. So happy review writing and let's get back to the show. If you could project a little bit, what where do you see... I don't know, that the, the future of RAD um, education and just people talking about it, where do you hope it will go and where do you see it going?
1: What I'm really hoping is that we can somehow change the system so that kids who've suffered trauma get the right therapy early mm-hmm. and not, you know, just stuffing it under the rug. I know a lot of counties that are like, oh, yeah, we're not going to tell anybody this kid has RAD. We're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. (laughs) And then, you know, then they go to multiple placements because nobody knew this was an issue. And, you know, it just doesn't work very well. But if we know that this is the reason we're removing them from their current situation, let's get them in therapy right away and get them over that trauma. So I think that has to happen at a much earlier age.
0: And trauma-based therapy, not, I mean, that was another thing we learned is that, you know, therapists are not insusceptible to being fooled either. Um, which I think before I was like, well, they're a therapist, they'll just know, but not every therapist is trauma informed. And so getting them in with someone that's not a revolving door, that's going to stick with them. That's going to not, you know, it's going to give them that stability, uh, and, and call them other crap, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my hopes. Also, I'm hoping that you know, more adoption agencies can like prepare parents in advance, maybe give them some tips and tools in case this happens. Um, Also, maybe some post-adoption services so that, you know, we have some place to go or somebody we can talk to. And, you know, somebody who will tell us, maybe it's not your parenting. Maybe there's something wrong.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that these are all, um, I don't know, really, really great projections that I really hope come into fruition because I think that the, the I don't want to say survival because that's a little dramatic, but more just like the, the success of parents like us who who take these kids on and who want to stand in the gaps for them. Like, I think that the success of that depends on, um, I don't know, our culture and, and the adoption system in general, getting with the times there and saying like, hey, this is a lot more common than we think it is and we should yeah. stop. Yeah, Just kind of brushing it under Especially the rug, like you said,
1: especially in foster care, because there's always a reason those kids were removed from their current situation. You know, there's they were either abused or neglected or, you know, the parents were not paying any attention. They were doing drugs or whatever. You know, that's stuff we have to we have to fix in the kid right away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Man, girl, this is like really, just really good stuff. And I can't wait to plug your book more. And um, you guys, we're going to be giving away a copy of Gina's book, which is so fun. So definitely be checking in the show notes and social media on how you can do that. But Gina, are you cool with getting into some of these closing questions? I am. Awesome. Okay. What do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey?
1: well, I wish I had known what reactive attachment disorder was, that it was actually a thing and like some of the symptoms to look for. Like if I had known that eye contact was an issue, like I could have figured this out much earlier, but I didn't even think of it. So yeah.
0: Oh, so hard. Um Okay. So what do you wish you had done differently?
1: Um, you know, I don't know because I feel like, At every point in our journey, I was doing the best I could with the information I had. I just wish I'd known more about what we were dealing with at the time. Um, So you know, I just, I just kept. I had so much tenacity through this whole process. Like, okay, well that didn't work, so we're going to try this. Well that didn't work, so we're going to try this. And my husband was, oh my god, he was amazing because we were on the same page. through most of this, I mean, you, you have a rad kid. So, you know, marriage and rad is not always a good combination. But here's the funny part. People say, how did you stay together? And I said, well, whoever requested to leave the marriage had to take the rad kid with them. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not enough to keep you together.
0: (laughs) It's a good rule of thumb. Just in general. I know.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And we were always like, okay, it's, it's us against him, but not really against him, but us working together for him, you yeah. know? And we we were always like, we can't be on d- different sides. We have to work together and you know, he's willing to try anything. So that's pretty good. <laughs>
0: yeah. Hey, that's awesome. Um, okay. What is your favorite way that your tribe supported you through your story?
1: Oh, Uh, Oh, we lost a lot of friends through this process (laughs) and a lot of, a lot of times I felt like I wasn't getting support, but there are a handful of like friends and family that were really supportive. Um, You know, my my in-laws helped us financially through some of our, our therapies that we couldn't afford. Um, Also I had some neighbors that lived down the street. Um, when he would run away from home, he would go to their house and they were always really cool about it. They were like, all right, we'll just let him stay here until he's ready. And then we'll call you and you can come pick him up. So, so that was really helpful as well. And, you know, family, some of them got it, some of them didn't, but, um, you know, all in all in the end, they've been pretty supportive.
0: Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, that just, Self-care is hard enough. And then when you have like, how do I communicate those needs to others? It feels impossible sometimes. And then, you know, to tag along with that, I always ask what is the the worst way that people tried to support you or what? how did you feel hurt or misunderstood by your community?
1: Oh, well you know, I I had many people make comments about the things I should be doing. And, you know, why aren't you giving your kid a timeout? Well, in therapy, we learned that if he was neglected, and you put him in a corner by himself, that's going to make him that's going to bring up feelings of neglect. So timeouts didn't work for him. And I didn't really have a way to verbalize that back then. But now I'm like, I've shifted my whole mindset of how I think about my son and how he's not doing this on purpose. This is, you know, a reaction to the situation he was in. So like the whole mindset shift helped me a lot, but I actually had a lady at target one day. My kid was throwing a public meltdown, like a lot of kids do, but mine was worse than most. And I decided to abandon the cart and leave the store. And on my way out this, and he was like eight years old. So it wasn't like I could just pick him up and carry him. You know, I had to like struggle. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're leaving the cart, abandoning everything. And we're just going to go home. And on my way out the door, this lady says, you should be ashamed of yourself. I raised six children and none of them ever acted this way in a public place. You're failing as a mother. And I don't even remember what I said to her. I was just so flabbergasted that she would say this. And I was like, okay, I'm sure none of her kids were adopted. I'm sure none of her kids had rad. And,
0: you know, yeah. Like, oh. oh my gosh, that's like stuff that's in the movies like oh my i can't believe that actually happened
1: it it actually happened and i think i cried the whole rest of the way home and probably the rest of the night and drowned my sorrows in a bottle of wine but
0: (laughs) where all the best
1: meanwhile my kid kept throwing tantrum (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile my kid kept throwing the tantrum for like two hours so
0: you know it it uh it was rough yeah so um Sweet listeners or uh, support systems of listeners, don't do that. Don't say things like that. (laughs) (laughs) That should go without saying, but apparently not. Um, (laughs) Okay, if you were to sum it all up into one piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive moms, what would you say?
1: Um, I would say the mindset shift was huge for me. Once we figured out what we were dealing with, that I could start thinking about him as a kid who needed help instead of a kid who was trying to manipulate me, that made a big difference for me. So I think that helped a lot. Um, you know, I didn't get enough self care through the whole process, but that would have been helpful as well. Um, but I was so busy putting out fires that I didn't really feel I had the time for self-care. So, right. yeah, oh. if, I guess if we could have found a support system, like we don't live near any family. So we didn't really have anybody that could, you know, tag tag in for us. So it was just me and my husband. And, you know, I would recognize when he was at his breaking point. And I'd be like, all right, I'll take over. You go for a run. Or he would recognize and he'd be like, okay, if you need to get away for a little bit, why don't you go out and do some shopping or something? So, you know, we we were there for each other, so.
0: Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, okay, and tell us where we can find you online and where we can uh, get your book.
1: Um, so my book is on Amazon, amazon.com. And you can find it there. It's called Love Never Quits, um, I also have a website, loveneverquitsbook.com. It's also under my name, which is Gina Human, but everybody spells it wrong. It's H E U M A N N. So, <laughs> um, And then I'm on Facebook as Gina Human, author and speaker. And I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it because I don't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm on instagram and yeah i'm on everything except really twitter (laughs) hey same here man uh so okay guys i will link to all of that stuff in the show notes and um but like she said if you just can't wait to get to the show notes head to amazon or loveneverquits.com grab a pop a copy of gina's book to hear more wisdom just like this and Goodness. I just loved hearing your story. I felt so much resolve in it and solidarity and it makes me feel so not alone. And we've been talking for less than an hour. So I just, I'm so excited that you are bringing this message to adoptive moms and that you're able to, I don't know, like like we said earlier, just show, show some hope, which is awesome.
1: Thank you. And I'm really hoping to bring it to all of society because I don't think society realizes that this turns into the problems of the future. You know, yeah. if we can't fix this when the kids are younger, these are the school shooters. These are the kids who end up in jail. You know, we need to fix this while they're young. And hopefully, you know, society can help us.
0: A hundred percent. And I think it's great that you are even just recognizing that because I I read a really great article, um, not at all to, well, I mean, I guess it is kind of a comparison, but it's just, it's talking about like, Hey, the people that commit these crimes, they're someone's kids, you know, like future Mm. rapists, future murderers, like they're someone's kids. And so like, what can we do now to prevent that? What can we do now? Like, owning it and saying like hey like my kid is not beyond reproach my kid is not you know my kid's a sinner just like anyone else so what can I do to pour love in and to I don't know to to help the society of the future like you said so I think that's a really yeah. good word love it well hey thank you so much Miss Gina thank you for having me this was fun thank you so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast I hope you found encouragement here I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.